Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. Okay, well, let's get started as you often get started. Tell us about the first brand that you remember having an impact on you. Converse. Okay, tell us more. And then Adidas, actually. Yeah. Um, and I was a sneaker nerd as a kid, as many of you are. And, um, and Converse was just, you know, the shoe we wore. And it was, I think, $9.99. You wore them till they wore out. And then I remember when Adidas launched Adidas, and the sneaker was like $32 versus $9.99. I tried those Adidas on, they were such a game change. I just felt I could fly. I thought my game just got way better. <laughs> and so, I mean, the, the difference between Adidas then and Converse was like night and day. So, so I was so proud of them. I kept them clean, I shined them. So Converse and Adidas. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. Here's a unique episode of the CMO Podcast. We are flipping the script, turning the tables, and I actually am being interviewed. My interviewer today is none other than Suzanne Kunkel, the Chief Marketing Officer for Deloitte US. This interview was recorded during Deloitte's CMO program in front of an audience with some of the biggest brand marketers in the world. In this conversation, Suzanne and I discuss so many things, including how brands can find their voice, how they can organically discover their purpose, and so much more. This is going to sound strange, throwing to my own interview, but here's Suzanne's conversation with Jim Stengel. <laughs> the hardest part of preparing for this was actually trying to skinny down the questions to ask Jim. So, but let's get it's started. It's tougher being the moderator, right? It, you know, it's funny because I heard Anthony going on and on about how what a nice job Jim does both with this podcast and with this session. And then all of a sudden it occurred to me, I was like, Oh, wait a minute. We're flipping the roles, so I have to be as good as Jim. But not possible, but we'll, we'll be do yourself. our best. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. So tell us one thing that we wouldn't be able to find out about you online. Well, I'm married to a remarkable woman who has 10 siblings. Oh, yeah, that's good. And seven of them are girls. Fabulous. So she's one of eight girls. You might be able to find that, but she keeps pretty private. Yeah online. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's one. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania in the city and I went to parochial school and high school with the same band of kids and we're still close. That's fabulous. And I think it's unusual. You know, my closest friends are Very from when I was four and five years old versus college or even work. And we try to keep our connections. So about once a year we try to meet and you know, stay up late and work out and drink wine and build fires and take hikes and just talk about life. That's great. And would they say your journey is surprising or would they say, no, we, we thought? They call me Jimmy. And I think they would tell you that I was sort of the band leader as a kid. They used to tell me, you know, on a summer day when we were kids, 
Jimmy always has a plan. So I think I was a little bit of the ringleader back then, but they're all great guys and they all have different strengths and I love them all and you know, yeah, yeah. It's, really, it's really great. That's and there's nice. some gals too, although they typically don't come to the reunion. Uh, and actually the girls in our neighborhood grew up to be amazing athletes. And I think because we didn't care as kids. Yeah. We just, you know, they played touch football with us. They played backyard basketball. They played four square. They played hide and seek. And we tackled them just as we tackled the boys. Right. And, um, and several of them grew, grew up to be remarkable athletes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, just, I mean, that's actually very interesting. I mean, you've always, you know, said that relationships are the, you know, kind of cornerstone of everything. So um, embodied in the way that you've lived your life. So that's fabulous. So let's shift gears a little bit. You obviously were talking about purpose before there was such a thing before it was a thing. Um, and certainly you talked, um, which I thought, you know, has absolutely kind of changed the way we talk about purpose, obviously about this notion that it is the driver of growth. It's not that it's mutually exclusive. It's that it's, you know, mutually sustaining, right? That the two go hand in hand. So tell us a little bit about, um, what is the purpose of the Jim Stingle company? Hmm. I think it's very simple. I think it, you know, we, we're a small group of friends, really. Um, and, I mean, I left P&G because I wanted to immerse myself in purpose full-time with really no distractions. And I wanted to learn more, study it, teach it, evolve it. And so our purpose is really to help leaders, you know, CMOs, CEOs, you know, find their purpose, activate it, measure it, and grow and have a really, really successful company in life. So that's our filter for everything. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I think one of the things that doesn't get talked about enough, and it was struck me last night because I was sitting by the fire, and obviously at DU we see you know many of our people, and, um, and purpose obviously matters quite a bit to them, but it's hard to get the purpose to be fully understood by everybody in the yeah. organization. So talk a little bit about how you help clients and companies activate it um, and really sort of infuse it throughout the organization. Well, you know, we always think that the answers are usually in your teams and in your organizations. So, uh, so we really, um, you know, if someone asks us to come in and help them discover it, find it, rediscover it, it's always in there. So we're anthropologists, and you know that. Yeah. And there are so many companies in this room that are so purposeful. I mean, so there's a lot to learn from the people in this room. And I could, you know, I was just rattling off, I was looking through the, you know, Walt Disney, Toyota, Cleveland Clinic, Chipotle, Walmart, Whirlpool, Wawa, Microsoft, Google, go on and on. You're all in the room. Yeah. I mean, so there's a, there's a lot of practitioners who are doing a great job. Uh, you know, it comes down to... Um, the, you know, the purpose has to be organic to the company, consistent with its heritage, has to impact lives, it has to be measurable, and it has to engage people, it has to attract customers. Um, and so, you know, if you have all that going, then it's about everyone understanding how that impacts their daily work. And there's just nothing like having that conversation with people. Yeah. You know, uh, what do, how, how can we be better at this? What do you do today, and what would you like to be doing? So it's a lot of conversation. It's a lot of engagement. Uh, the ones that are successful, I think, are highly social. You know, we, uh, we worked with one company in Europe years ago, and the CEO said, this is going to take me 18 months to two years. 
So I want to be out there talking to people about this, what it means to their work. And, and when they finally, quote, launched it, I mean, it was just a remarkably emotional event because everyone was engaged in it already. Yeah, yeah. So I think it has to, has, people need to understand their role and, uh, and how it affects daily work. I visited Target years ago after I left P&G. I was teaching at UCLA at the time, and I asked Target to come into my classroom. And at that time, they talked about their purpose, what they're trying to do as a, and we had obviously Rick Gomez in here earlier this week, and they talked about everyone, even the person who goes out and collects the carts, and helps keep the front of the store clean, they need to know what we're about and what we're trying to do, and they will be more effective and happier in their role if they do. So it's, it's simple stuff. Yeah, yeah. And even way. measurement, you can start simple. I think we have a big opportunity in measurement, and I think we'll talk about that later. But, you know, just starting to talk about purpose in performance reviews, just bring it up. Yeah. If you bring it up, people will realize it's valued. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting as you talk because um, yesterday when I was meeting with you and the team and, um, and we were talking a little bit about preparation for today, I thought it was interesting because between you and the team, you said, look, I go in, I'm not scripted, right? I don't want to know what you're going to ask me, but I do know going in that I have a North Star and I know that I want some level of spontaneity around the flow. So I want to be able to, you know, sort of give and take on that. Um, and last but not least, I want to ask questions initially so that the person can be in the best space to get out of their own head and to be the best that they can be in the interview. And it strikes me that's sort of what you're talking about with purpose and you know how you can infuse it through the organization is is absolutely. many of those same principles absolutely so, yeah communication honesty authenticity i mean you, we heard it from jeff jones and rick gomez they oozed yeah generosity relationship building listening curiosity from the stage and i think that's what great leaders do yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. Well, you've done amazing things in your career. Let me just list some things, right? Liberal arts degree. You spent some time um, uh, in publishing at Time Life. You have an MBA from Penn State. You obviously have the storied CMO um, career at P&G, the global marketing officer. You've written two books. You now have a successful podcast. Um, your 2011 Future Fortunes exec dream team, which is fabulous. You have spent a lot of time in the classroom, right? So that's important to you, UCLA, Kellogg. You're the AMA Hall of Fame um, CMO. Um, so I'm exhausted. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But given all that, what, was, what would you say was your proudest moment? I think um, in the business world, um, which I think I would say my children, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, but we can go there later if you want. I think in the business world, um, I, you know, it's a small, maybe it's a small thing, but, um, when I had a, I had a birthday right after we bought Gillette and we were having a big global marketing meeting and they kind of stopped the meeting, my team, and they gave me a book that they had made. And the title was The World According to Jim from his friends and associates. And it's like 100 pages. It's beautifully designed. And it was a quote or a phrase from everyone on my team about what I meant to them. Oh, that's cool. And I mean, I still, you, we get lots of corporate stuff in our careers, you know, things we hang on the wall and put on our desk and use. But this is the one thing yeah. I will never separate with. 
because um, it just is one of those things. I messed up every time I look at it. And it's the small things, making time for someone at two in the morning in Guangzhou to have an ice cream. You know, it's uh, stretching someone to do something they didn't think they could do and being there to help them. Uh, so it just was, um, it's very heart rendering. And, um, and I think that that's why we do what we do, right? To um, be part of, there's nothing like being, as you know this, be, being part of a team that does something extraordinary. Yeah. And there's just nothing like that feeling. And so that was, uh, I'd say in my career, that was the sweetest moment. And, uh, and again, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful, if you're ever in my office, I'd be happy to share it with you. I mean, it's just, it's funny and it's meaningful. Yeah, that's, that's fabulous. Okay, so let's shift gears a little bit. There's, um, so there is a lot of chatter right now about the role of the CMO and all that sort of thing. You've successfully made the transition from CMO to CEO. Um, Talk to us a little bit about what about the CMO prepared you best to become a C CEO? I think I, I think what P&G prepared me for, and certainly being a CMO, because a CMO you're helping other people be successful, really, is um, setting standards and asking really hard questions. Yeah. And you know that. That's what a great consultant does. And, um, and I think that, I think that skill or that way of thinking has really helped me transition and be very happy in this phase of my life. Um, so, so I think that's it. Uh, you know, it's, we talked about, um, I, I did a, a podcast yesterday recording with, with Tarek Hassan from Petco, and I asked him his biggest challenge in his career. And he said, going from the advertising business to the client mm. and making that transition. So these transitions are really critical. I think, um, he had the self-awareness to be successful at it. But I think you have to understand, and all of you are making transitions in your careers, you will continue to. I think self-awareness is really important. You know, when are you at your best and are you in a job and a career where you're at your best most of the time? And uh, when, I, when I left P&G, the company was very generous in giving me counseling to be sure I was making the right decision. And, um, and have a fabulous woman in New York who was sort of my coach and counselor through this. And she said, you should go talk to people whose lifestyle you admire. So I did that. And I called people and I said, confidentially, I'm leaving P&G. It's probably not going to be for the next another six or nine months. But can I talk to you about your life? And, um, and I went to see um, Judy Olian, who was dean at UCLA uh, Anderson at the time, a remarkable woman. Um, and I, I went to see Maurice Levy in Paris, who was running Publicist at the time. And they all had amazing advice. And, and Maurice said to me, the greatest gift in life is freedom. Oh, that's and funny. you have the freedom to have a life that you can build around your skills and your strengths. You've earned that. Go for it. And, um, and I never forgot that. And I've been tempted, as we all are, to go back into the world. I've had some interesting sort of crazy offers and uh, and I keep coming back to will I have the freedom to work on what I love most of the time and I always came back to continuing to do what I do now that's fabulous that's fabulous. it's been hard I've been that my kids and wife have said when something came in around um tennis and I love tennis and it came through Roger Federer and his agent Tony Godsick and I thought yeah man 
<laughs> and uh, it was like to be CEO of the ATP. Oh, that's great. So you live in Monaco or London. It was a nice salary. It's a good lifestyle. Work with interesting people and interesting issues. And, uh, and that was when I was just starting my business. I didn't really have any plan. I had one assistant after leaving P&G with like 7,000 people. And, uh, and it was a really hard call. But again, come back to self-awareness, the work I had done with a coach. And I said, if I don't do this now, I'm not going to do it. And I really want to do this. That's like, you know, I'm not going to make an impact in purpose and business, you know, if I don't do this now. Yeah, that's And that was my goal, to make some sort of impact, small or big, in how we, how we do business. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Yeah, I love that notion of freedom. For many of us, um, and certainly in your role as CEO with your company, um, it's not only about the work you choose to do, but the work you choose not to do. So talk to us a little bit about how do you select clients? How do you make sure you, again, keep very true to the purpose, um, but building a small company and a reputation and all that sort of thing. So how do, how do you think through those kinds of things? We've done, we've done no business development. Yeah. So it's just sort of been um, word of mouth and relationship building. And, um, and we partner a lot. You know, we partner with you, and we've done this for many years. And, and we partner with the A&A. I partner with Can Lions. So I personally love doing leadership development like this. So we do a lot of partnerships. I do a lot of partnerships in that. We typically, um, you know, if, uh, if someone calls, the first question is, why are you calling? So, well, I think we want to be more about purpose. And that's, well, what's that mean? You know, what are, you, what are your challenges? What's going on in your organization? How's your business? How are your customers? You know, so, uh, and I've had some clients, potential clients who call, and I have a chat with them, and I think, I'm not sure we can help you. Right. You know, you're off and running. You've got people inside who are, know what they're doing. And then some call, and, um, and I just... Um, you know, I feel like the chemistry will be good or not good. And so um, every client, as you all know in the room, is quirky. The best companies in the world are all quirky. And every company has their own cultural stuff going on. And it makes it really interesting. So, so I think if there's a, if we think we can help, um, if there's, if, if, if the leaders at the top are committed, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't always have to be the CEO leading it, but the CEO has to believe this is important. There's a really big tech company that, we've been working with and and I wasn't sure so I said can I come out and talk to the leadership team and I had a really good dialogue with the leadership team and uh, after that they're they're all in and um, and the first the question I asked them is this important to you is discovering and activating the purpose in your top two or three things that you think are important for this company for the next few years if you don't get that from the leadership, you can make progress, but you can't really transform a company. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's 
wise advice for all of us as we think about working um, you know, a lot of different environments and, and being able to exercise freedom. Um, one of the things that I have admired working together over, you know, m many years, um, is I've, and it's core to what we were talking about before with relationships is you can tell that your approach to a partnership is really sort of, you know, many people think about partnership in terms of what can I get from you? And I've always felt like you come in with what can I give to you? And that's where how you're making so decisions around we that, all which try. is fabulous. Good, good, good. Okay, sh let, let's talk a little bit about you as a leader. Um, you know, one of the things that I read that you'd said was that it, when you think about time, right, you always email back in this order. You email family and friends first, your people, your team second, and clients third. And that is not maybe the conventional wisdom, particularly on the clients being third. So talk to us a little bit about how you land in that order and what that means to you. I guess it's just what I, I value, right? Yeah. The personal stuff first, um, and then my team. And they don't bug me with incidental things. And um, and then clients, you know? So, um, and obviously there's a, you know, if the client's really having something burning, of course there's exceptions. But, um, but that's what I try to do. And I try to... Um, you know, I've worked with Tim Armstrong for many years. He was early at Google, and then he, you know, spun AOL out of Time Warner, and I joined his board. He's now doing a direct-to-consumer company. And he's, uh, you know, he's a wonderful human being, uh, but he has this thought. He said, you can't let your inbox control your outbox. And how many of us fall prey to that? And I try to be very, we're not perfect. I try to be very deliberate about that. I don't want other people controlling my time. I want myself controlling my time and deciding what's important, where I can make an impact. And so um, that's a really, really simple principle, but wow, you know. Yeah, yeah, I need to, need to take that I mean, to I, there was a, the <laughs> head of sales at P&G when I was there had a principle that every email was returned every day before he went to bed. I mean, and the head of sales at P&G had a shitload of emails, you know. Right, so, right. But I thought, good for him, it works for him, maybe that's, but I can't do that. I don't think I'd ever get to what I need to focus on. Right, right. So how do you make those choices? Um, like, my, my question is, what is the work that you make sure you do every day? Like, I won't, I won't leave this undone. And then, conversely, what is the work that you try to, but you're comfortable if it doesn't get done? I mean, if we have a deadline with a client, of course, we meet that. Um, I think the... I, I'm, you know, I, I'm a big Stephen Covey person. Uh, when I was a kid at P&G, we did a lot of training with Stephen Covey's organization when they were kind of emerging. So I'm a big planner. You know, yeah. I look at my uh, year, I look at my month, I look at my week, I look at my day, and I take some quiet moments to reflect about my roles in life and what I want to get done within those roles. And that includes my role as a husband, as a parent, yeah. Yeah. you know, as a child, as a friend. So they're all important, and I kind of make goals with all of those. And um, it's cute. My daughter, I see her. <laughs> she's totally picked that up because she's a real planner, and I see her. I see her when I'm visiting her. She, you know. <laughs> so, but it's you know, I think it just makes you feel. If I don't do that, I'm restless. Right. Right. I kind of feel like I don't have a kind of a, a focus, a compass, you know. So, um, and I, I try to, um, I try to keep myself fresh too. If you don't build in time for renewal, 
you know, physical, men mental, spiritual, all of it, I just also find you get stale. Yeah. It's really important we stay creative. You know, we kind of underplay that. And I've gotten, I'm more experienced than most of you in the room. I know when I'm getting dull. I can feel it. And I somehow have to change things up to kind of get some energy back. And I think that's really, really, really important. Um, so how I make those decisions, I mean, it, it's, uh, it, you know, it's a little bit situational, mm -hmm. but again, I come back to the purpose. You know, am I focused on, at least the business world, moving the case of purpose forward? And I feel like that, that has to be done with thought leadership, it has to be done with communication, has to be done with research, has to be done by keeping my hands in the dirtiness of it. Right. You know, when you're in a company trying to work through purpose, it's messy. And I kind of feel like I have to have all those, all those engines going. Right. Um, and uh, so that's kind of how I spend my time. Yeah. Again, it does remind me of the whole North Star oh, for preparation, sure. but respect spontaneity and, yep. and make sure your team can do, others around you can do the best that they can do. I also think very much, I mean, this was kind of a, a, a monitor thing, which has, is now part of, I've worked with monitor early in my career and it's now part of Deloitte for many years, but this whole idea of an activity system. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, if, if your purpose is in the middle, what are all the activities to bring it to life? And, and I very, as I left P&G, I actually charted that out. What's my activity system to try to live this purpose? And that included all sorts of things, personal board of directors, you know, um, you know, how do you keep yourself sharp, uh, teaching, you know, um, investing, all of those things. So let's open it up and hear what's all on your mind and what would you like to know from Jim? John Hall from Whirlpool Corporation. Um, my question is about um, business transformation. So if you, you find your purpose and it's, it's the right purpose that leadership is aligned with and your entire organization gets and believes in, you activate it across the entire business, you yourself said it takes 18, maybe to 24 months. Um, there's a point where leadership especially in public companies can get a little bit in, impatient and so can you maybe talk about like either some fatal flaws where <clears throat> purposes kind of don't get the proper time that they need to really get through the organization and maybe some tips to kind of lead the broad yeah. organization through that challenging transition? very simple it always always has to come back to the business if purpose is off here mm. i mean i've, I've worked with companies say okay you know we like this a purpose idea and we think this will make us better, but we got to get back to running the business. You know, purpose is the way you achieve competitive advantage, you differentiate, you become a more interesting company for consumers, customers, employees. So it always gets back to, even in a crisis or a business, it should be about bringing the purpose to life because that should help you get out of the crisis. So it has to be rooted in a compelling business need. And, uh, and it, has to, it has to trigger the imagination of your colleagues. And uh, you know, I, I often do a, okay, a from to. How do we do business now? And with this renewed focus for the company or purpose, what's the future look like? And, and really, really interrogate that. And so you have to make it pragmatic, you have to make it meaningful, it has to affect work. And when that happens, 
when a crisis hits, it's about what you dial up, what you dial down. Um, and even when, you know, even when you have something, a product issue or a public relations issue, come back to your purpose. You know, we, we worked with a commercial real estate company, not in the U.S., and um, they just kind of looked at everything they did, how they do financial reporting, mm. how they, their language with customers, you know, how they start meetings. You know, they just, they just took apart everything in every discipline about how does the purpose affect that. And the, the smell of that place, if you will, Totally changed. Totally changed. You had a question up front? We need a mic. Um, so in financial services, we're seeing a lot of consolidation, a lot of acquisitions. What are your thoughts when you end up with kind of two companies that have come together where the purposes are misaligned, completely at odds, which has happened recently with us, um, or where one company may be very kind of rooted in their purpose and the other one just doesn't believe in it at all? Yeah, it's interesting to watch SunTrust coming together with BB&T, right? That's SunTrust, very, very purposeful. Uh, you know, I think it's, um, with a great CMO, by the way, I think it's a great chance for renewal. You know, bringing the new leadership together. And what are we creating here? What about our heritages is relevant? What do we want to kick out, keep in? So to me, it's a great time for kind of re-energizing and you know and acquisitions are hard mergers are hard I get all that but to take the time to think how what does this new enterprise look like what's its purpose what's its meaning how we communicate that all your employees are confused not sure what the new direction is etc cetera, etc cetera. but it's it's about leadership and so often we don't take the time to do that. You know, I, you know I, I talked about this earlier in the meeting. It's fresh in my mind. I'm trying to read more, and uh, fiction, nonfiction, everything. And you know, we have a Disney person in the room. I mean, Bob Iger's book is really a remarkable book. But he talks about Pixar and Marvel and kind of how that happened and how it affected the culture and doing that deliberately. And think about what the company looks like once this new entity is in. How much do you leave them alone versus bring them in? How do you learn from each other? Just very thoughtful. And this was his focus. He was you know, not distracted by a lot of other things. He, he, he realized those acquisitions were incredibly important to the future of that company. So we have to take the time. Yes? Since you've brought up the role of leadership and making sure that purpose is well articulated and understood, how do you think about the longevity of purpose mm -hmm. um, as it relates to the customer and the culture and the product and the experience that outlives any particular leadership team? Yeah. And as, as one who's helping them build the purpose, how do you help them future-proof it against changes in leadership? Who are you with? Capital One, but I used to be yeah. a brand consultant. So. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, that's the biggest risk, right? Leadership changes. I mean, look at uh, Unilever. Paul Pullman's been, you know, a very dynamic leader leading that company to a future of purpose. And his successor seems to be even taking that to a new level. Well done. And, and they're facing some headwinds now, and they're staying on it, you know. So succession planning is really important and making that a criteria for the, for the succession planning. Then I just, you know, it's, if it's baked into 
your daily work and how people are doing business and how they're rewarded, you know, it will be a little bit tougher to take apart. And then and I would also say we have a lot of opportunity in metrics. And I think, um, you know, we're doing some research in this area. Why can't we, with all of the computing power and big data and, and just capabilities we have now, why can't we find a stronger link between business results, financial results, and purpose activation? So I'm, I, I want a lot of thinking in that space. And so, because I think once we nail that, you know, things will really start to turn. And BlackRock's all over that. They would love to have something like that. And lots of other companies would too. So, so I'm all ears on that. We are doing some work. We've invested in a small software company who has something interesting in this space. But we need ideas and pilots. Yes? Hi, I'm Sarah Engel. I'm with Lily Pulitzer. Mm -hmm. um, I am fascinated by the work. This follow-up question to what you're, what you're speaking about, fascinated by the work you're doing on measuring purpose. We've been purpose-driven for 60 years, so to look at lift according to specific campaigns is, is pretty difficult. Um, so, you know, we look at sales lift, we look at employee and customer sentiment, you know, we'll measure specific purpose-driven campaigns. Are there other things right now at current state that you're seeing brands look at to determine, you know, is our purpose where it needs to be? Are we making the message, you know, are we, are we being clear about the message? And then how do we like literally measure that lift? I think you can measure, do your customers see behavioral changes? And, um, and I think that's very relatively easy to do. And they're not going to tell you, not, they're not going to recite your purpose back to you, but they, they will tell you in their own words what kind of behavior change they're seeing. You know, I am a, a brand that I would miss if it went away is Delta, because I'm on them about every week. I'm with them. You know, I have seen over the years massive behavior change at Delta. So have I seen them acting in their purpose and in behaving in a different way? Yes. And do I reward them with my business? Yes. And are they doing pretty well financially? Yes. Mm -hmm. so, so I think uh, customer, customers seeing a behavior change um, and your employees authentically saying that I am working to my full potential and the purpose is an important part of my work and it's valued. Yeah, you've, you are often quoted as saying, you know, to, to make sure that you start a movement, it's important just to start. You just begin, yeah. You'll learn. <laughs> just start yeah. yep. something. Yep. Yeah. One of the questions I get asked a lot about um, purpose um, is for companies that believe that they have been purpose-led but maybe haven't amplified yeah. that, yeah. how do you now talk about that in a way that doesn't look gratuitous or that you can sort of get the credit for having been there without it looking like you're just sort of saying, oh, well now, me too. Yeah. I think if it's not been amplified, it likely hasn't been communicated, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I think leaders, you know, let's say whether it's Chipotle or Walt Disney or whatever, every leader has to take time to internalize what this means for them as a human being and for their work. If you, take, if you don't take time to internalize it and be able to explain it to your friends, mm -hmm. your kids, your wife, your partner, whatever, in your own words, and, that's, and what this means to your work, it won't be amplified because it's not owned. And um, so 
you know, I've done exercises with leadership teams where we take the time for them to kind of write their story of their life and how it relates to the purpose. So don't write the CEO's story. Don't write, you know, Jim's story. Write your story. And, um, and it gets very interesting when you do that. It gets very personal. You know, so I think people have to internalize it mm -hmm. before they can inspire it, before they can implement it. Jim, I think for many of us in this room, as we grow in leadership and hearing you, how you reached out to coach or we look for that guidance, I think a lot of us have someone in our mind that we would love to interview or sit down with. And I know you've met so many people all over the world. Who's the one person out there that you still really would like to interview or learn from? Wow. Wow, that's a really good question. Um, You know, I think, I'm going to think about that one some more, but one company that I think is uh, extraordinary, just because of the longevity of it and the way they've stayed on the edge on product and communication, uh, is Nike. I've known people there over the years. I mean, there's great companies in this room that have longevity, but they're going on, what, 45 years now? And they're just like a startup. You know, so how, to, how they've kept that culture going with tremendous market leadership, tremendous innovation. I mean, to, have, to have talk about their shoes are being banned because they're too good. You know, so I, I think that culture and those leaders are, and they have a new leader coming in, of course. Um, you know, I think Bezos, I haven't spent any time with Bezos. I think however you think about that culture, what they've done to keep a relentless, innovative, creative customer-focused culture going at an incredible level. I've talked to one of their top finance people. I asked, how many experiments do you have going on? What's your innovation pipeline look like in this company? He said, I have no idea. We have thousands of things going on because we think innovation can't be managed. Everybody needs to be empowered to solve customer problems. Let them go. And when they need more money or resources, we'll deal with that. So that's one that you know I think there's endless learning um, so I'm talking about companies I admire. I think um, LVMH is pretty incredible, much like Nike. They've stayed at their edge, and it's a creative culture. You know, it's not a, it's a difficult culture to understand sometimes, but their results have been remarkable. Um, so those are some. I, I think um, in the sports world, I just interviewed for my podcast the general manager of Kevin Durant's company, 35 Ventures. I think how some of these really interesting athletes, like Federer, like you know LeBron, all what they do with their lives, how they build businesses around it, I think is really interesting. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I'd be interested in talking to some of those people. Uh, I did have the opportunity, as I said earlier, to meet Federer a couple of times, have him for dinner, and uh, he's just. You know, he's one of my heroes. I think just the way he approaches life and relationships and communication and impact, just remarkable. So I'm rambling on a bit. But those are some of the companies and people I admire for sure. One of the things that people who are around you talk a lot about you with respect to your ability to be a great storyteller and this insatiable curiosity, how do you infuse that in the way you run your company and the people mm. around you? How does it get yeah. fed into kind of the way you do work? Yeah, we, we take time to, 
I guess this is something I learned at PNG. We really do take time to come together and reflect on what we're enjoying and is our yeah. purpose coming to life and what are the gaps and uh, what's gone well, it hasn't gone well, how do we stay energized. Um, and I, you know, we, I think you have to do that with some fun, you have to do it in person. Um, in fact, we had a, an offsite about two years ago where we brought in some outside experts to push us. So after we had our offsite, we kind of explained what we were going to be doing going forward. And, um, and, the, and some of these outside experts, this is where the purpose measurement thing, they kind of said, hey gang, you know, there's a really big problem to be solved and why not you? So I think having, you know, after you do your strategy and your planning with your team, sometimes having eight or 10 people from the outside come in and, and their brief is to push you, to make you uncomfortable, to look for things that you don't see. And so, um, and that's, that's kind of how we stay fresh, you know, and lots of communication, lots of celebration. Yeah, yeah. You know, I recently moved my office to be with a young woman who's starting a venture fund. And, uh, you know, there are very, very few venture funds that are women founded and run. I mean, something like 2%. And she was an investor in Peloton early on when she worked for another company, so she's broken off to start her own fund. And, and part of the reason, and I'm invested in her, and uh, now we're co-located, part of the reason is just the energy. What kind of new companies are coming in? What are they talking about? You know, who are they looking at? And so, um, so again, it keeps you, mm -hmm. keeps you fresh. Who you're hanging around with, you know? Who's in your space? I'm not in that office that much, but when I am, you know, what's, what's going on? What's cool? Who have you talked to? You know, what, what's the portfolio look like? Uh, that's fabulous. So, Jim, you have often said um, legacy is how we spend our time and mm -hmm. with whom we spend it. Um, so we could not be more um, privileged and inspired by the time that you've chosen to spend with all of us. So that's fabulous. So we'll end the podcast the way that you, you end many of yours. Uh -oh. <laughs> um, so you talked about Delta, but what are some brands you can't live without? We have Nestle in the room, right? Is it Nestle in the room? I love your Nes <laughs> I love Nespresso. I would really miss that if that went away. It's part of my morning routine. You know, and, and, and I love that you have the machines here. Right, right. So when I get up at 4.30, I can have an espresso before exercising. So that's one. I think in the, um, if I think about the, t the utilitarian things that are really important, I don't mean that to be a negative word, but the tech, you know, I would really miss Google. I would really miss Apple. I would really miss Amazon. I'd really miss Netflix. You know, so they're really embedded in my life. And wow, I can't even imagine. I mean, I get on, but those, you know, so there's that part of it. <laughs> and then there's the, um, I think Nespresso is one I'd miss. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big Toyota Lexus person. We were talking about that. I'd miss them if they went away. All of our, all of our cars, actually. I have an old Alfa Romeo. Other than that, we're a pretty much a Toyota Lexus family. Oh, that's great. What's the coolest campaign you've ever done? Wow. Um, I'd have to say Pampers. You know, I was there in the beginning when we turned it around um, and took it from a functional benefit focus to a purpose focus 
and the creativity that came out of that. Um, and uh, just really just remarkable work that, you know, the team, Sachi and Sachi, the other partners who were working with at the time, I mean, it's still one of the great brand stories, one of the great P&G brand stories of all time. I mean, it's a brand that P&G invented, got into serious trouble, got way behind competition, it's a terrible place to work, and it became leading for P&G and, and ended up tripling our size and margins got way better, innovation, engagement, because we repivoted the business on making a difference in, ba in babies' healthy, happy development. That was the filter for everything. Yeah. So the creativity that came out of that was, was just incredible. Um, really unexpected, really different for the category because of the purpose. Right, led the way, absolutely. Yeah. And a um, woman who was really, really instrumental in that, her name is Mathilde Delhomme. She's now CMO of LVMH. Oh, that's fabulous. So, <laughs> Yeah, good things, Swan, yeah. good things. Um, what's the biggest breakthrough you've had as the Jim Stangle company helping clients with purpose? Oh, I think I won't mention the name. anything specifically in terms of a client, but um, but to see to get a letter to say that um, you know the the company has changed, the culture has changed, it's noticeable. You know, we're attracting better talent, our business is healthier, uh, and you had a part of that. Um, I don't care how big the company is; that just is that is so. As why we do what we do, right. you know. So, so I think that that feeling that we're helping, we're making an impact. We're very energized about purpose measurement now. Yeah, My team great. is really excited and electric about this. We just think, wow, you know, if we can push this forward, it makes this whole thing more sustainable. Yeah, that's fabulous. And, yeah. So, since we're flipping the script, whose podcast would you like to be on? Ooh, Dak Shepard. Okay. Yeah. Why not? It'd be fun. I can make it for two hours or whatever he does. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, last question. What is Jim Stingle's purpose? I think it's kind of similar. I mean, at the end of the day, I want to be a great uh, dad and, and parent, friend. That's probably the uber purpose. And to, um, yeah, just to be present and loving and helpful. Um, and then, you know, on the business side of it is to, um, to just help, um, help leaders uh, act on purpose and see the results. That's fabulous. You know, that's, and, and that's um, obviously when we consult, as you do, you make an impact on companies and leaders. But I, I also feel like, you know, it, to scale it, You've got to be doing things like this. You've got to be writing. You've got to be podcasting. So that's a big part of it. So I'm trying to spend more of my personal time on purpose measurement and sort of scaling some of this learning uh, because I think that way we can, more people can be trying things and experimenting and learning from each other as you are in this room. Yeah, that's great. Well, Jim, we've been, again, very fortunate. Um, Jim was... So, Suzanne, um, what is your purpose? Very helpless. Um, so my I can't help purpose... myself. I'm a podcast host. Turn the, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Turn the tables back. <laughs> so what is my purpose? My purpose is to um, make a difference every day uh, and laugh along the way. And I always say... Laughing um, strategist, I, right? Yes, exactly. That's so I always say to my team, be proud, because I, I think we don't 
often take time to really sort of reflect on what we're good at, be better. So this sort of notion of, of always striving for the next thing and not being complacent, be bold. Um, so, and with everything that entails, including risk, including falling on the stage, but at <laughs> least you are going to stage and laugh along the way. So that's my purpose. Super. Uh, yeah. Great. Well, thank and you. And that's very in harmony with your company. Yeah. Good. Good. You know what I love, um, being here at the university for a couple of days, certainly being with all of you, but also being with so many of your people, I just hear a lot of energy around impact, which I know is a word used, but not just individual companies, but in ways that you can impact what's going on in the world. That's fabulous. Saying, but yeah, there's a lot of that dialogue around here, which is very exciting. Yeah, it is. It's an exciting place to be. So thank you. And thank you for Jim has been on the CMO Next Gen Academy um, faculty and sort of the godfather it. of it for one of my um, favorite all of our years. Of so it's year. been fabulous to uh, have that unfold. So thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. That was my conversation with Suzanne Kunkel, and she was a great interviewer. I think my favorite part was all the personal stuff. Suzanne took me to places where I talked about my family, my childhood, and some crazy stuff that happened in my career. It was fun. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.